The Granzadillo School of Business and Management at Pepperdine University proudly presents the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. This podcast invites top business practitioners and thought leaders to share their view on the real world of business. Hello and welcome. My name is Rick Gibson. I'm the Associate Vice President for Public Affairs here at Pepperdine University. Today I'm joined by Dr. Linda Livingstone, Dean of the Grazadillo School of Business and Management. Welcome, Linda. Well, thank you, Rick. It's good to be here today. Well, the series is certainly on a roll. We're excited about the uh, guests that you've had so far. Tell us who we can look forward to uh, today. Well, today we have with us Blake Irving, who's Executive Vice President and Chief Products Officer of Yahoo. He's also an alum of our program and has also taught at various times with the business school. So we're thrilled to have Blake because he's kind of a family member coming home, but he also has great things to share with us. Yeah, that's an exciting twist to the series, to have someone from our own school and alumnus be a part of this. Well, uh, we look forward to this interview very much. We've been looking forward to it for a long time. Let me invite our listeners to sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview with Blake Irving. Welcome. Uh, we are in our next Dean's Executive Leadership Series. It's our second one in 2012, and we're thrilled today to have with us Blake Irving, who's Executive Vice President and Chief Products Officer of Yahoo, an alumnus of Pepperdine University and the Graz CDO School. So welcome, Blake. Thanks, Linda. Thanks very much. Well, it's, it's great having you as an alum. We have had maybe two or three in our uh, history in Dells, and so it's great to have an alum back and to see you doing so well and doing interesting and challenging things. Boy, it is an interesting business that we're in. That is for sure. Well, you've been uh, at Yahoo now for not quite two years. About two years, about mm -hmm. 20, 21, 22 months. So your path there has been interesting. You actually were taking a break and teaching for us. and uh, Spending time with your family and other things uh, kind of for a while prior to that, but then you were at Microsoft before that. Could you share just a little bit about your career path and kind of how you got to where you are yeah, today? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I've, I've, I think my, my career path would probably be defined by following passions and interests uh, and things that I felt were uh, important, important to me or important to the world at large. And I, I was... Uh, when I, when I started on my, my Pepperdine MBA, I was actually working at Xerox at the time and was uh, actually, frankly, I was a fine arts major in, uh, in undergrad and fell in love with computers as a creation device. And the more I got into computers, the more I thought these could be used as uh, you know, pretty powerful tools by others and then started designing systems with some other guys uh, that actually made those, cre those creative processes happen for other people that ne weren't necessarily as creative or didn't think of themselves as creative, but they could actually go do pretty powerful things. While I was doing that, I actually got my, my MBA at Pepperdine concurrently. And I, I must say, uh, you know, tribute to the school, it was one of the most powerful things that uh, I was ever turned on to because now I had this love of technology, this love of sort of changing the way things are, um, and then started learning the business mechanics of how to do it in a way that actually produced earnings, revenue, profits, and things that actually uh, mattered to Wall Street versus just, uh, you know, end users or, or customers. It, it was fascinating. From there, uh, actually, soon after I got my MBA, I took a product management uh, role uh, at a company called Okidata back east, just to see the east coast, and had an interesting experience. And sometimes I say experience is what you get when you don't get what you want, but it was uh, it was an interesting experience. And, and you from, learned from that. And I learned a lot, and I learned a couple of things that, uh, that were important, uh, and took some of those learnings to uh, the next company I worked for, which was Compact Computer, right when Compact was still sort of uh, flying pretty high and went down there to put them in the, the laser printer business, which they determined after the first quarter I was there, they, they took their first uh, 
their first dog quarter, and Rod Canyon, who was the CEO at the time, came into a conference room that I was in and said, "Hey, we're not going to do we're not going to do printers. We're going to go back and redouble our efforts on our core business, mm-hmm. which is which is actually a really really important thing for any company mm-hmm. to do." And I thought, okay, that's kind of interesting. I get an opportunity to go do some other things and, and looked around, scoured the, the company and had a couple of offers. And one was in multimedia. I started working in the multimedia area back in 1989. Uh, no, yeah, 1989 and was working on CD-ROMs and digital audio and some really interesting things and came up with a concept for a PC that had embedded digital audio. You could do speech recognition and text-to-speech and some really interesting things on the on the computer. And Got that, got that accepted by, uh, by Rod and the company, and by then, uh, Rod had moved out and Eckerd Pfeiffer had moved in. We launched that product line, um, and while I was in the midst of working on that product, I was working very closely with Microsoft uh, at the time and had a, uh, an offer for Microsoft to go work for him. And so I, I thought, I, I kind of, at that point, had done enough research in the in the the ecosystem both software and hardware that I knew that where the value equation was going to go over the course of the next decade and thought Microsoft would be a good place to um, you know change the world make some big things happen uh, and decided once I had shipped my product and I actually had an offer two months before I, uh, I shipped that product so I stayed at Compaq for those two months and uh, it was a pretty rough two months because every week I'd look at the Microsoft stock and it was going up a point or two <laughs> thinking <that. laughs> maybe maybe I shouldn't be so loyal but uh, I, I really wanted to ship the product it was the right thing to do sure. for the company shipped it and then went to Microsoft in 92 to work on those types of technologies and my career at Microsoft was, a, was an, an interesting walk just was moving from one thing that I was very interested or passionate about to another and used, you know, writing and persuasion and those kinds of things to, to get some ideas pushed through that Bill and Steve thought were interesting and was able to get the, an application sharing product done, uh, an audio, internet audio conferencing, internet video conferencing product, an instant messaging product, a web mail service, a whole bunch of different things launched that ended up becoming a pretty good size uh, business that was making over a, a you know, billion dollars, mostly advertising revenue. And, you know, that turned into something they now call the Windows Live platform, which is a sort of, a, if you think of it as the cloud infrastructure right. that, that powers Windows, that's sort of where, um, where they are, uh, what they're doing with that uh, today. I did take some time off, as, as you know. And we're glad you did, yeah. the students loved it while you were with us. I still oh. talk to alums and everything, they just rave about oh, the experience thanks. they had in your classes. So. Thanks so much. <laughs> it, was, it was really fun. In fact, uh, he was the president of the class. Uh, that uh, the first class that I taught, actually, Miles Weinstein is actually working mm-hmm. at, uh, at Yahoo now and contributing great things. But I, I taught, uh, I took a trip around the world with my kids, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, we traveled all over the place and I homeschooled them. Traveling was awesome. Homeschooling, I don't necessarily recommend it. Um, <laughs> it's a good thing for some people, but not for everyone you learn. <laughs> yeah, but I, I guess I, I, I kind of enjoyed the teaching, came back and taught at Pepperdine and then had a couple conversations with Jerry Yang who um, was on the board and was the founder of the company. He um, had a pretty interesting proposition, so I ended up going to Yahoo in uh, 2010. And, and now it's 2012, and I, you, know, you blink and it's 2012. Right. And it has been quite a ride. There's been a lot that's gone on at Yahoo since you've been there, it, and it's been challenging and interesting opportunities. So, And you're kind of in charge of products and innovation, so how have you managed sort of try to stay focused on of what your core 
responsibility is in the midst of such yeah. really dramatic change you know, in the, the company? When a, when a company is in an environment when there's, where there is so much dramatic change, mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the things that they need to, they need to feel bedrock somewhere. Mm-hmm. And there have been so many changes at Yahoo that bedrock was pretty elusive, mm-hmm. right? And the valley changes so often, and there's so many disruptive technologies that, mm-hmm. that, and I think that because they had sort of been, since 2008, had sort of backed off and, and felt a little bit, mm-hmm. um, didn't have the confidence that, mm-hmm. that they once had, that I thought the thing that they, they really needed was to get a singular vision and strategy behind their products. And they had quite a few, actually. They were siloed and segmented in ways that, that, weren't, uh, that weren't really giving them lift. So the, one of the first things I did was to try to assemble a team of, of leaders, not the guys that were reporting to me who were operators, but strategy folks that were inside their mm-hmm. organizations, some folks that had um, done startups um, like Citizen Sports, Mike Kearns of Citizen Sports, and Luke Beatty and Associated Content, and then some other uh, folks that were not managing a whole lot of people but were brilliant, either mm-hmm. scientists or individual contributors, said, let's go build a strategy based on what's happening externally, what the strengths of the company are, not looking at adjacencies, but what, we, what should we do with the technology that we've got in a way that provides lift for the entire mm-hmm. uh, company. And then what tra- technology trends are happening and trends that, from other companies that are happening that we can take advantage of. So we put together a, um, a strategy at that time uh, that was about bringing personal meaning to the web, and that was sort of the mantra. We also call it you know, deeply personal digital experiences, and personal meaning is interesting. It's different than relevance, mm-hmm. right? We talk about relevance on the internet a lot. Uh, you know, yogis don't go to mountaintops looking for relevance. They go looking for meaning, and it's deeper, and uh, it, it, it's not just philosophical. You know, people have conversations with themselves. They have conversations with a trusted partner, and there is no one on the internet today that is actually providing enough of a sense of security and trust that there's an, uh, a fair exchange between the consumer and, and the service provider. And so we thought if we did that, and we did it in a way with deep science and data, we did it with beautiful um, user interface that feels very meaningful, we did it across mobile devices, we did it in a way that provided an ecosystem, not just for us, but for others, and actually built into an ecosystem that it, it was going to be something that, that could create lift for the company and would give bedrock for the employees. And it, it was the first time that the employees that were at the company uh, had seen an, a single product strategy. Mm-hmm. We rolled that out. We then did a, a strategy execution uh, methodology that, that I like I refer to as 2-20-200, which is you know two-page vision doc, a 20-page initiative doc that gets into more detail, mm-hmm. and then an operating plan. What are you going to do the next mm-hmm. year? And so we put that operating plan together and started executing against it. And there were good things about it and bad things about it. You, know, you learn as you do mm-hmm. these things. Sure. And you know the, that got us going. And actually, the fourth quarter of 2011 was really the most productive quarter we had had from a product shipment standpoint, mm-hmm. with a lot of mobile innovations, lots of science innovations, cross-platform where we're TV and mobile that I think really lifted uh, lifted the company. Now, while all that's going on, mm-hmm. we had you know all kinds of noise about whether what the Asian assets were going to be repatriated, what was going to happen with the CEO, then the CEO got fired. And you know there were a lot of things at the corporate level that were capable of defocusing the team. And the team stayed focused. And we actually had a product event in November in the company, and Carol left in September. And that product event, interestingly enough, uh, I had a couple, I had quite a few press meetings at the end of that product mm-hmm. rollout event. And they said, you know, we're, we're astonished that you, you you guys have been actually been able to go deliver against, you know, these, these strategies. And I, I kind of have this really silly periodic table of elements 
that looks like you know chem class, but that's how we describe it for the engineers because mm-hmm. it's just easy shorthand to remember it by. And most of the press had seen it for me a mm-hmm. year earlier. We didn't change it going mm-hmm. into 2012, and we delivered against it. And uh, quite quite a few of the press said, you know, that's pretty darn impressive that your engineers were able to stay focused. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it had a lot to do with that strategy, with that progress, and you know, giving people mm-hmm. hope. Right. You know, so that they can sort of stay down the, the right path or a path right. while everything around it. Well, everything else around it crazy. was was, yeah. was nuts. And trying to provide some sort of bedrock, which that, I think that strategy did, and an organization that could provide bedrock. And then, you know, frankly as a leader as a leader, you have to be you have to be a full believer. You have to radiate, you know, there's two kinds of people. There's radiators and there's drains. Mm-hmm. And you have to be a radiator at an exceptional level when all that swirls going around and you better believe because if you don't, you know, the, the disingenuousness will come. Uh, come through in spades. So, you know, I'm a f- full believer and was, you know, pushing very, very hard through that entire period to make sure that everybody knew it and that I was in uh, completely. So when you talked about the move to Microsoft, you said that they, you saw that they knew what the value equation was for the future. So now you're in a position at uh, Yahoo where knowing what that value equation is is really important since you're focusing on product innovation and product development. So where do you see that value equation going in your space in the future? And how are you thinking about building on what you've already done to get there? Well, there's some things that we've already done that are important for the value equation. And a couple of I'll be speaking about them tonight. Mm -hmm, But a couple of things that are very, very important is these two little devices I have sitting on the, the table. So these are monetized by hardware manufacturers, by carriers, and not monetized super well by web providers today. Mm-hmm. The the mobile web, um, you know, the web has left the desktop probably, you know, for, mm-hmm. in many, many countries around the world, folks will never use a PC. They'll only access the web, and they won't even know it's the web. It's just the internet. They happen to be on, a, mm-hmm. on an application that uses the infrastructure. There's huge... I think value to be created on these devices, and especially in scenarios which I, I guess I'd sort of call you know closed loop, closed loop continuum for transactions, where if a marketer or a company that has goods or services and is interested in closing the loop, marketing and figuring out what somebody's going to do, you know there are products that are in the marketplace today that allow me to scan barcodes, allow me to find deals that are within the proximity of me because I happen to have a mobile device. Mm-hmm. And that closed loop marketing, I think, is going to be a, a tremendously important value creator for Yahoo, where not only are we doing advertising on the web, but we're doing advertising and we're also able to tell an advertiser, this is what your customer looks like, this is where they come from, and be able to actually target things to them that make the com- make the customer feel very comfortable and say, "Wow, that's that's really great," you know. And I think there's a, there was a time that passed where, you know, when when Gmail, you know, seven eight years ago was targeting your, your targeting you with advertisement in your inbox based on content, it was a little uh, scary, mm-hmm. actually. And I think that consumers have have been growing up at a, at a pace certainly our our kids yeah. um, and young people. This, this is just the way it is. So I think there's going to be lots and lots of that type of integration that um, allows Yahoo to move into not just you know more advertising revenue, but you know closed loop piece of, of transaction based mm-hmm. revenue as well. Before we started our conversation, you were commenting on just having returned from a trip, a very short trip to China and India. So yeah. talk a little bit about how you think about that global world that you're dealing with. And you're in a space where information is so important and there's all kinds of issues as you go worldwide around 
culture, even around intellectual property and how that's handled censorship issues and so on. So mm. how are you thinking about navigating those as you try to tap into some of these really large markets that are out there around the world? Yeah. Yahoo has a footprint from a development and engineering mm -hmm. perspective where we actually have pretty large teams in both um, India and in China. And mm -hmm. I was explicitly visiting those teams. And when I do, I always um, meet with press and partners as well. The, the interesting thing about, about those markets is what, what we've tried to do at Yahoo and over the last two years have been building, uh, and before then, been building platforms that allow us to roll out media properties and communication and social capabilities in those places that are highly customizable and highly localizable. So from the perspective, and we'll use India as, as an example, this year we actually rolled uh, out mail in six different Indian languages. Of, of the possible 20 plus. We also have partnered with local uh, media providers, uh, in this case a few, I think it's three or four Indian newspapers, that we partner with them and allow them to onboard some of their content onto our platform so they can actually be the content provider providing streams into an infrastructure that is pretty darn pretty darn large. So we, we sort of say, look, we're, we're not experts in your culture, and we're, we're not intending to be. Mm -hmm. What we'd like to do is enable you and empower you to reach a customer that is that is culturally different than what we might otherwise uh, produce. Mm -hmm. And it's all about partnerships in these, these different places, or taking folks, in some cases where we do have owned and operated uh, businesses, and we'll have quite a few of them around uh, the planet. We've done some uh, acquisitions. Uh, we acquired a company in the Middle East called McTube that is uh, now uh, the largest uh, web uh, company in the Middle East, and that's based in the, in the uh, Emirates. We have uh, both Yahoo Taiwan and Yahoo Hong Kong, which are both, you think of them as owned and operated, we're actually sort of a conglomerate of, of properties that were, that were acquired and put together. And Yahoo Taiwan has 98% reach in Taiwan. Yahoo Hong Kong has 98% wow. reach in Hong Kong because they are tailored explicitly for the local market. And, and that's a pretty tricky thing to do mm -hmm. when you're trying to build on global platforms, localize, and trying to separate language and market because they're, they're quite different. Doing that in a way that scales, that allows you to do it quickly and sensitively, is not, uh, is not an easy thing. We've actually, I'd say from a best-in-class perspective, God is probably one of the best folks from, uh, in the media business at doing that. Probably one of the only media businesses that has truly global reach mm -hmm. of uh, 700 and, uh, 720 million uh, users worldwide. So many of the people that are listening to this are either students or alumni of the school. There's certainly others as well. But what have you learned in, in the world that you're in now, just in terms of, of, of sort of advice or insight to students that might be interested in, in working in this space or alumni of how they need to think about preparing themselves to sort of function in the kind of company Yahoo is in this sort of global, rapidly changing environment. Are there keys in terms of what you look for in employees or skill sets mm -hmm. or yeah. mindsets that are more important than maybe they used to be or that you think going forward are going to be critical? Well, it's, this is going to feel like a weird one, but, you know, comfort with ambiguity yeah. uh, is very important. So, you know, if you're, if you're going into a, a consumer goods or a packaged industry, mm -hmm. the change rate is not rapid, mm -hmm. I would say. Certainly, there's, there's certainly invention there, but the, the rate of invention in this business uh, is, is pretty phenomenal. You can actually create huge businesses out of sand, out of ideas, mm -hmm. um, and not really have to spend any capital. So the, the things that I would tell students are, one, prototype early. <laughs> so have an idea, 
don't go through the formal process of, and I know this is going to sound like heresy from a guy who's taught in an MBA program and has his MBA, you know, the, the, the rules around doing a business plan and putting that up and making sure that you have some capital before you take a product into prototype and, and move, it, move out any further are, are sort of behind us. And there are a series of services that exist now with wonderful APIs on top of them that for very low cost, without having huge capital expenditure or op operating cost, you can go do prototypes and actually put it up on the internet and see what happens. And you know, one of the management philosophies I have is measurement, measurement, measurement. You know, you, you, you don't know if you've achieved something if you weren't thinking about measuring well, well in advance. And if you know what your measurements are for success, you can actually look at customers interacting with your sites which is a crazy thing about the internet. I mean, the, the auto industry would die to be able to get you know, data on how many times the feature in that particular automobile were used. I know everything they're doing on the site, not down to an individual, so certainly people are anonymized, but I actually can instrument a site and tell what somebody's doing and then make changes to it the next day. And the, the, the cost of changing that product, no inventory, no shelf space, no restocking, no, no, uh, no, nothing. Mm -hmm. So I know that was my phone. That's our okay. Time is not it's up. quite all right. <laughs> it's really someone's time to go in and change the system behind the. I mean, you know, you know it's, in terms it's of giving a, making adjustments to based on that data. You know, it is it is interesting. I mean, the the way that we, um, I think that there, there's traditional learning and and, uh, and there's a lot of things that we mm -hmm. that we teach that don't incorporate some of the tools that are out there. And you know, even if you're doing a traditional marketing business now, or you're you're uh, you come out and you you go to Procter and Gamble as a product manager, you better understand you better understand Facebook, Twitter, you better understand every social medium that's mm -hmm. out there. You better understand the web. You have to understand what CPM, CPC, CPA, all these terms that are about mm -hmm. how your marketing program is doing and what you're spending and how the return right. and the results are. Those kind of things don't don't show up in classes very often yeah. yet. Yeah. Yet they're starting to become staples of marketing, not just to you know teenagers, but to everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. You've worked in a variety of companies. You've taken some time off from sort of traditional work. What, as you think about sort of your leadership approach, your leadership philosophy, what are some of the sort of key elements of that that have evolved mm -hmm. over the course of your career from being that fine arts major that uh, came out of undergraduate school? Yeah, gee, that's, that's interesting. So, as I said, you know, you don't reflect on your philosophy yeah. until somebody asks you and then you have to ponder for a minute. You know, I think I, I tend to empower people, uh, give them very explicit uh, guardrails on both sides mm -hmm. of what we've empowered them to do. And then, you know, if, if they need help to, you know, let me know. Mm -hmm. And from my perspective, I'm very open and direct. I expect everybody to be open and direct. Communication is wide open. I don't like to see barriers in an organization or folks that think that that's my space. Why is that guy invading my space? Mm -hmm. Which is very typical in small business and big business. Bigger and bigger problem in bigger businesses. Right. And basically thinking of your your workmates as a team where, yep, you're going to play position, but you know something? Every once in a while, I hate to go into you know a baseball metaphor, but every once in a while the you know the, the shortstop has to back up the second baseman because something went awry or something happened or an unusual thing expected was you know an unexpected thing happened and so now now what are you going to do? Well, the industry that that my serendipitous career has chosen for me or I I chose it I'm not sure which throws so many curveballs and has so many plays being run that didn't even exist in the rule book earlier 
that you have to be able to have that type of, of flexibility um, on your team. So you put guardrails up, have a very open and, and uh, open dialogue with the team, make sure that people know exactly what they're empowered uh, with, try to make sure that there's only one decision maker and not multiple mm -hmm. decision makers because that can, can cause problems, and try in a very ambiguous space to remove as much ambiguity as you possibly can because ambiguity can freeze people, mm -hmm. even folks that are professional disambiguators can become frozen when there are massive changes happening and need to find a true north. Which is very much what you described earlier in what you've tried to do at Yahoo yeah. in the last couple of years. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I encourage all the leaders that are working for me to do the exact same thing. Find, find true north, lay out, you know, lay out a set of goals that map to your, your leader's goals. You know, my goals map to Carol's goals. Mm -hmm. uh, and now Scott's goals. And, you know, that's, that's what you... Uh, that's what you do. You try to set that environment up for your, your folks. I'm also a, an incredibly unhierarchical person. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I chose to take my office off of exec row and I put a cubicle over in the engineering building so it was open and people could walk by and, you know, mix it up. And I felt like I was, you know, kind of in the mosh pit, which I think is actually quite important to be, uh, to be effective in the, the role that I'm in. When those, you did it for a very practical reason, but it's also very symbolic when you do something like that because it says a lot about your leadership style and kind of how you expect others to behave in the organization as well. It, it does. You know, the, the old you know, lead by example, lead by example um, philosophy is it's just not, it's not just a, a fun thing to say. It is a, it, it's something that I, I take quite seriously. Well, Blake, uh, we are about to the end of our time. We deeply appreciate having you here in our Dean's Executive Leadership Series as Certainly because of your success in business, but especially because you're an alum and uh, oh, you certainly represent us well and we're proud of all that you're doing. And we want you to know when you're ready for another break, just let us know and <laughs> we'll be glad to have you come back and teach some more for us. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks, Appreciate it. Well, Linda, as expected, that was a fascinating and timely interview with Blake. Well, so much is going on at Yahoo and uh, around that industry. So having Blake with us was fabulous, did an excellent job filling us in on what we can expect from Yahoo in the years yeah, ahead. Yeah, it certainly was an interesting interview. Well, uh, tell us what we can expect next. Well, we have quite a treat coming up for our next speaker, Jerry West, who is probably best known for his time with the Los Angeles Lakers right. as a player and in other capacities, but he now serves as executive board member for the Golden State Warriors. So it will be a pleasure to have Jerry with us. We certainly look forward to that. Well, let me invite our listeners who want to learn more about the Dean's Executive Leadership Series or the Grazadio School to visit us at bschool.pepperdine.edu slash DELS. That's D-E-L-S. And until next time, thanks for listening. True leaders inspire others around them to achieve. And leadership is a quality that we can help you develop and master. I'm Dr. Gary Mangifico, Associate Dean at Pepperdine University's Graziadio School of Business and Management. Our evening and weekend MBA program is designed exclusively for working professionals like you. Our curriculum, faculty, and highly collaborative learning environment stand ready to help you advance yourself and your career. And though our regional campuses are only a short distance from your home or your work, you'll travel further than you ever dreamed possible. Spring and summer semester applications are now being accepted for Pepperdine's evening and weekend MBA program at our Encino, Irvine, West LA, Westlake Village graduate campuses, and our new Santa Barbara location. Call 800-933-2000.
3333, Pepperdine's Grazia Deal School of Business and Management. Master the leader in you.